This week, we watched the Royal Rumble. We saw Sweeney Todd on Broadway, but the real barber is Vince McMahon. And now your host, Mike Indeglio. I see what you did there. Welcome to K&M Geekly. My name is Mike Indeglio. This is just a sneak peek at two geeks talking about some of the things that got them through their week. And I'm joined, as always, by my Beatle Bamford, Keith Varney. How are you doing this week, Keith? I'm doing okay. I'm I'm wearing a hat for the... uh... First time, I think this might be a, a, a new record, but I, I took a shower last night, mm. and we're recording this at like 11-something in the morning. I'm like, I'm not going to take another shower, but also, like, I'm not going to subject you to this. Yeah, yeah, So, yeah. Uh, thus the hat. There is a, there was a funny sketch on SNL. It wasn't funny. There was a sketch on SNL last night that uh, I spoke to me, Keith, and it was basically the, the, the all the football analysts and they were talking about how after today, which is the AFC and NFC championship games, there's no real football because the Super Bowl isn't for us. Super Bowl is for commercials and all that kind of stuff. This is the last mm-hmm. <laughs> the last game they said for just us guys. And I thought the, pre- <laughs> the premise was pretty funny. Uh, but here we are on the final football Sunday. We did some wrestling watching last night. My brother and my mom was here. My brother was here. He brought his wife. My wife came home from... And we watched just all the hours of wrestling. We're going to talk about that this week. If you're not a wrestling fan, make sure to uh, check out the timestamps. As usual, they will tell you when we are going to gab. Uh, lots of interesting things because there's other news in the week about monsters, and we're going to talk about Ooh. it. Why is that for sure? Uh, and we're not going to kid glove it, I don't think. We might as well get down to the, the brass tacks of it because it's easy. We do talk, we do joke a lot on the show, and I don't. I think when it's time to be serious, we are... No, there's it, absolutely yeah. nothing funny about yeah. the... Uh... About Vince McMahon. But before we do that, let's talk about a musical comedy, Keith. Uh, yes. And, and as you can see, the AI has made us a glorious background this week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know that we've ever talked about our mutual geeking love for Sweeney Todd. We I know uh, we saw Sweeney Todd this week. Let me let me let me just pivot. We to saw that. Sweeney Todd yeah. on Broadway, the uh, the latest revival at the Lundfontaine Theater. Yes, uh, which we had been wanting to do, though this was a much ballyhooed production. It was starring Annalie Ashford and Josh Groban. But, Keith, deal watchers, as mm-hmm. we've often talked on the show, uh, rather than spend the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars or win that lottery to get to see those two. And we by waited. deal watchers, you mean poor people like yes. us. Uh, we decided to just wait until they left. And in the interim on Broadway, before, before the- Aaron Tave and... Uh- is it Tevet or Tevet? I've always said Tevet, but I, I just don't know. I don't know. I, him, I'm, so. a, I'm like in a fa- I was in a fantasy baseball league with him, but I still don't know how to pronounce his name. Well, I, mean, I don't think it's a prerequisite to know everybody's name. Well, you'd think. Uh, yes, which and I'm sure they will be wonderful, but we weren't going to wait for those prices either. So we got the interim, and so we got to see uh, who are our stars that we saw. Keith. Nicholas. Uh, hold on, Sparks. Nicholas Sparks. <laughs> Yes, of course. Nicholas Sparks, Nicholas Christopher, <laughs> Nicholas Christopher, uh, and Delaney Westfall as uh, as Mrs. Lovett. Yes. So there's so many things to talk about. First, let's get our just general impressions of the show. I'll go first. Uh, I well, Keith and I going in as we were sitting there talking. I, I guess I didn't realize until my wife brought it up to me how just giddy I was. I was giddy. Oh my god. To go. Mm-hmm. I've never seen Mike as geeked up as before the show. We, we the three of us went together. Yes, and and like Mike was vibrating in his seat. It was delightful. I loved seeing 
like Mike setting aside his like, yeah, cool guy, yeah, man, whatever, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and just being genuinely geeked up for a show. Yeah, and it's it's come it's you know. The further we are, I'm away from like the meat of my I'm doing this on stage career, the more I found myself being able to not just see, be turn off the part of my brain that sees all the work, the work from the actors, the work from the, you know, I'm able to kind of segment that better, which I find leads to much more enjoyment. This show specifically because, Keith and I talked about this, when I was in sixth grade, the first show I ever saw, my mom took me to a production of Pirates of Penzance, which was wonderful. Uh, and I was very little, and I just remember the sort of just the the whimsy and the joy of that. But in sixth grade, I had a music teacher, Mrs. Nutter, and you know, in in fifth and sixth grade were really important things because I had another music teacher, Mrs. Carney, who made us learn some chords on the guitar, and that forever changed my life. Just this decision to dis- to make us learn a couple, should we learn a couple chords on the piano? The, the what's the thing? The harmonia? No, what's the like? Harps, where you press Ukulele? the buttons. No, you press the buttons and then strum the string, and then like it's lays flat. Joni Mitchell oh. played it a lot. Auto uh, harp. Auto harp. Auto harp. Yeah. yeah, I think. Yeah. Anyway, a bunch of different instruments, and that exploration of instruments changed my life, or at least introduced me to that part of my life. And then Mrs. Nutter in sixth grade said, "Okay, for the next week, because music in, music classes were shorter than the regular classes. They didn't get the full forty-five minutes. It was like a thirty-two minute." elective or something like that yeah it was weird anyway she's like we're gonna break up the the uh, musical we're gonna show you musical theater and we're gonna break it up and they didn't show us you know joseph or uh les mis or any of the things you know that there were vhs's if we got the pbs 1983 george Hearn, yeah angela lansbury Broadway they touring company. Sweeney in sixth grade. Sixth grade. And the whole thing. We talked about it. We talked wow. about writing lyrics. We talked about music. We talked about the use of the horror genre. We just had like, she talked to us like we were students of the theater when we were in sixth grade. And it was freaking awesome. It was frightening. It was exciting. It, you know, it was one of our, it was probably my first ex- introduction to music that wasn't just like, happy modal pop music, you know? Right, right, sure. It's challenging. It's a challenging score. It's a challenging story. Uh, and I absolutely loved it and went on. I remember one of my first big things, I was able to convince my parents to buy me the VHS, and I wore that thing out. Or maybe we oh, taped sure. it off of PBS. I can't remember which which. Of the, the, you know, it gets, it gets interrupted by a pledge drive pretty yep. frequently. For oh, so yes. long. Anyway, I've seen a couple productions live subsequently and i've watched a, every other one i've rarely missed one anyway i was so excited to see this keith uh and for the mo- very most part i absolutely adored it i think for me the standout was that it was approached a little less i mean it's it's supposed to be a sort of gigantic gothic horror melodrama and they, yeah, it's almost almost a comic book originally yeah, yeah. very pulpy and they 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 grounded this a lot more than I wouldn't say that is usually done. That is just that that is in juxtaposition we're used to. to we're used to. Yeah, uh, I thought it was a really interesting use of space. There's a lot of negative space, uh, whereas the Harold Prince original production was just every there was set and people everywhere. Everything was filled. Yeah. Uh, it was cacophony, right? Very much like London would have been. And uh, I thought the voices were incredible. I thought the leads were doing yeoman's work because, as Keith and I will mention, they 
were not just like the standbys. They also played other roles when the big quote unquote name stars were in. Uh, it, it just was, I saw there were some interesting takes on Joanna, some interesting takes. I thought this was one of the best um, Tobys I've ever seen and a great take on the judge. Just a great overall production. I had so much fun. It did not disappoint me. Like sometimes when you meet your idols, it can do. Mm-hmm. And we got to hear the full on bang on uh Stephen Sondheim's score, which is a full orchestra for the first time on Broadway in a while. And we had great seats, I thought. We had pretty great seats for for what we paid for them. So uh, that was my overall thoughts before we get into the nitty gritty, Keith, what were yours? Yeah, I mean, I I said this um, as we were talking after the show. Sweeney Todd is a unparalleled masterpiece of musical theater. I think it is, and I don't think any. I don't think that's a particularly like wild statement. Everybody agrees it was not successful in the original production, nor was it particularly well reviewed, if you'd believe that. Mm. Um, but you know, again, time and distance and context really does change things. So, like those initial reviews, don't always trust them. Yeah. Um, it is. It is an absolute masterpiece of writing. Of of creativity, of unique genre storytelling, um, it, the score is absolutely pitch perfect. It is it is complex. It is challenging. It is tuneful. It is clever, um, and it's heartbreaking. And it, it is an absolutely. It I, I think it's one of the top five examples of this art form in human history. And I, and I think it's going to stand up that way. I mean, you know, we we talk about musical theater writers, and some people are popular for a while, some people are successful or whatever. I don't think I'm going out of my way to say that Sondheim, Stephen Sondheim, is kind of like a Mozart. And and in 400 years, we will still be analyzing and enjoying his music like Mozart, whereas a lot of it will sort of like come and go, and it will be a part of what was successful for a moment. But he's one of those towering minds that defines uh, 100 years of theater and 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 in composition. So if you look at the 20th century, you know, you've got you've got like Sondheim and Bernstein and like, you know, uh the Beatles, that kind of the, the people that will endure forever. And this is one of those shows. Um and so uh I also was a was raised on the 1982 Lansbury um production with George Hearn, um who was actually the first replacement um, who went out on the tour. They filmed the tour. It was not the Broadway production. It was in, in Los Angeles. Anyway, I was raised on it as well. Um, much the same as you. I had my VHS of of, uh, of Sweeney, of Into the Woods, and Sunday in the Park. And those were my three that went in rotation constantly. And so talk about meeting your heroes. Like when I start meeting people who are in those productions, mm-hmm. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. And uh, <laughs> you want to be cool and not ask them a million questions, but you can't help. Oh that. my god! I, and like some of them, like don't want to talk about it. Some of them, like love talking about it. Like talk to Chip. Chip's like loves talking about mm-hmm. it. Um, but like when I when I first met George Hearn, I was like, I'm like I'm trying to play cool. I can't play cool. Anyway, um, yeah, I think it's a really good production. Um, I think that the there's a part of me that missed a little bit of the comic book. If you look at the the original production, their makeup it was almost kabuki, like mm-hmm, it was mm-hmm. it was wildly stylized and giant. And this is a much more grounded, much more 
realistic um, version of these characters, um, which I thought played great. But I do. There's something about me that wants my Sweeney to be chew in the stage. Yeah. And and um, and look, I thought. And it, look, this I don't think I'm. You know, everybody knows this, especially these days. But like, uh, when the star is out, you are not getting a lesser performance. Um, you know, both both of these of these actors came in and were fantastic and just absolutely rock solid um, and worth every penny. So. Um, if you have an opportunity to see the show, and we saw it for what sixty bucks in the, yeah, in the in the orchestra, bucks. yeah, yeah. I mean, come on, it's fantastic. Don't miss out on an opportunity like that. So, yeah, I really liked the the physical production was great. Um, you know, for me, I just want to hear the full orchestra and the full, and I want to hear the screaming sweetie, and I I want to be blown away by that. You know, and and one thing that you picked up on right away. In the theater, which which I thought was really interesting, is that the the sound design of the show very specifically made the sound come from the stage. Mm-hmm. Whereas a lot of these shows, there are speakers all over, and you get sort of a it's 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 fuller, it's a little louder, but you don't have the sense of direction because it's it's a flatter sound and it doesn't feel quite as live mm-hmm. because you're you're not hearing it from the stage and so i think with this intentionally the sound design is very clearly the sound is coming from the people on the stage and there's some pros and cons to that right because i think it really did help with the with the with the realism it helped draw us into it i it could have been louder mm-hmm. for me mm-hmm. um not that i couldn't hear anything but those big overwhelming operatic horror things i want to be louder a little bit and maybe that could have could have been where we were sitting uh the lunch fontaine has a has a giant um mezzanine which overlaps most of the orchestra so if you're under it i think you you might lose a little bit of sound that if you were up in the mezzanine you might get a little bit more who knows um but i, I it's a it's an absolutely rock solid production i'm really glad that they decided to do a big sweeney because we, we've you know, we've seen many productions of it, and, and lately it's been pretty small to save money. And the show holds up, big or small, but to, just to get that, mm-hmm. really enjoyed that. Yeah, you bring up some interesting philosophical points about art. And one is that, you know, musical theater, amongst many art forms, but is such a collaborative alchemy, right? A final production. It's not just. You know, obviously the fingerprints of of Harold Prince and Stephen Sondheim are all over the, that original production. But, you know, it still takes every individual's voice, every individual instrumentation, the orchestration, every the guy who put who wrote the orchestra. It all has to come together. Sets, costumes, yeah. makeup. We've mentioned all of those today. And, and yeah. when it does so perfectly as, you know, two, two things end up happening. It It still grows and becomes better as time goes on, right? A lot of art, you know, we're watching Deep Space Nine, a lot of television, a lot of different things. You watch, and the 20 years later, 30 years later, and what you ask is, does this hold up? Will it hold up? Is the, is the yeah. formative question. That's never a question. It's, it's not, is it, will it hold up? Is, is it, can this production touch the original? You know, right? You never, not, not even surpass, just can this production even measure up? It's not hold up. Is the, will the piece hold up? The piece is perfect. Yeah. Will the production hold up? In and, this case, and sometimes the subsequent production is better than the original and is finally yeah. made. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Merrily We Were Along revival, also a Sondheim show, 
I have not seen it yet, but the consensus is they finally got it right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because maybe the, the because the recipe was off, right? The the soup yep. the soup recipe the secret recipe they don't have. There's a missing ingredient, and you got to discover what that is. Yep. And sometimes I think directors overthink themselves, right? When you have when you have a perfect piece, you don't have to always put your fingerprint on it. I'll bring up, and I'm not even saying I disliked it. I'm just saying I'll bring up the very specific Johnny Depp, Tim Burton film version of this piece. They messed with the recipe a lot, right? It's yep. very much Tim Burton's fever dream right. of what this story is. A lot of the music's changed. A lot of the music's cut. A lot of the story is altered. And yep. that's not a judgment. That's just when you mess with the ingredients of the soup, right? When you, when you, when you, what's the word? Uh, what, when you what, order off the menu? Yeah, with those gourds. When you substitute. Yeah. Or when you have the like a you go to a fancy place and it's like the deconstruction of a burger and you're like, well, oh, man, right. well, you can't really burger and fries works pretty good, right? Yeah, don't. You right, don't right. I don't need it on a like a in a soup. So <laughs> anyway, this I, I thought this this was really great and uh, yeah. you know satisfying, you, worth it, and awesome to remember that not everybody knows this stuff. Like there the when you right. learn spoiler alert for Sweeney Todd that he's gonna eat people, they're gonna eat people, or Feed the feed people to people. Oh, they eat them. Yeah, it's uh, people were gasping, and I was like, oh it's yeah, pretty hilarious yeah. to not know that. But but that but that is the wonder of storytelling and theater is that a new generation comes by that hasn't seen it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, and and that's that's the thing. I, I bet for the people who did these iconic filmed shows, right? People our age are going to geek out to them. Mm-hmm. But a 25-year-old musical theater fan might not have any idea who who any of these people are because they didn't they weren't raised on these. Nope. And uh it's it's cool to see that you can still get the DVD, the original DVD. I mean, we saw yeah, but this you're going to put in Dropbox, right? I was kind of waiting for that. Yeah, well, results are not as great. I think it's just I'll just put the original in there because you can't really clean it up. It is what it is. It's like 360 by 180 like the pixel density is very bad but it's very bad it is what it is uh so yeah i'll pop it in there for you the uh and also you know i went on a fun journey and so has keith like on youtube to see all kinds of hidden somehow they got there are there are versions of len Carew doing it carrie you yep. doing it uh filmed from the orchestra they're, somehow from with they're, some they're technology boots, but yeah. Oh, yeah. No, somebody went in with like a huge camcorder and nobody noticed. <laughs> it's like, this is my wife, and it's just like a big coat. <laughs> of just put a coat on a TV camera. We had a blast, and then because we're dorks, we sat in a restaurant afterwards and talked about it. It was just like a, a ton oh, of fun. Super uh, fun. If you get it, it's going to be running for a while, so if you get a chance to go check it out, check out. And if not, Amazon Prime, it's $3.60 to rent the original, so just yep. go and do that. Yeah. Okay, so next, let's talk about the other <laughs> just giant geek thing we did last night, and that was virtually watch the Royal Rumble, which is the official start to the road to WrestleMania, folks, for WWE wrestling. A lot of times, it's a lot of there's a lot of surprises and twists and turns because the winner of these matches gets to face the champion at WrestleMania in April. My brother came over with his wife, as I mentioned. We got some chips. Keith was on the text. We were texting constantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's. I guess I'll pitch to you first, buddy. What were your just general overthoughts of the, of the show and your feelings? First of all, just still too long. It started at seven. 
after the press conference, my brother left at one o'clock. That is five hours yeah. of stuff, but uh, is what it is. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's. Well, but my first thought is looking at the poster here. Multiple people on this poster were not a part of this evening whatsoever. Yeah. But I guess that's. Uh, I, I guess that's part of the the mystery of the Royal Rumble. Who's going to come out next? Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, so. Uh, it doesn't matter for people watching this, but the but what makes the Royal Rumble fun is they have this match where they keep having more and more people coming out into the ring and they have to fight or whatever. But like the point is like you end up having 30 different people come in every 90 seconds and it's always a surprise. You don't know who's going to come out next. It could be your stars of today. You have you could have somebody's surprise come out from 20 years ago and and like you just never know what's going to happen. And that's really fun. Um, and it has some good stakes because whoever wins is going to headline uh, WrestleMania. So super fun. I, I I think this is my favorite pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. You know, not this particular one, but the Royal Rumble in general is, I think, my favorite format for the pay-per-view. So um, it was fun. Like, I, I don't think it was like a uh, like a barn burner at all. I thought mm-hmm. it was, you know, they, they told the stories. I thought a lot of the, the work was good. They introduced some folks. Um uh, Cody Rhodes won, so he's going to face Roman in the rematch in WrestleMania, which I'm excited about because I know that there's been lots of speculation about The Rock coming in, um, which is exciting to see Rock versus Roman for sure. But I think it's just very ill-timed mm-hmm. because because the Cody Rhodes story they kind of have to finish it or not. Yep. Um, and 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 I don't think they're going to punt. So it's time. It's time for him to win and and take over and then. And then the Rock and Roman can do SummerSlam or something. The uh, the more I've thought about this overnight, and you know, we're gonna—I guess we'll spare the nitty gritty of it. That would be for my brother, yeah. and and I think the big picture is that this took place. This whole thing took place under three giant pillars, right? It took place under the auspice of a, a, a giant sell to part of this of TKO selling the Monday Night Raw show to Netflix for five billion dollars. So Good a huge content and viewership change. Uh, it came under the giant dragon of an elephant of the Vince McMahon sex scandal stuff, which, which we're going to we talk about. Which will definitely get yeah. into, yeah. And so how do you as a company uh, who has to continue to produce content deal with that, put on a show, and yet— which dropped like— Hours. 24 hours yeah. before this happened and establish because you know the questions that are coming and so you have to somehow tell a story within the story you're already telling about where you're going how you're going to go there uh how are you going to ha- talk about it not talk about it deal with it not deal with it and i have some ideas about what i what i interpreted from the show uh and also then you're you know <laughs> You've got to then move on from that, right? You've got to show kind of wh- what is the future, right? What is the impact of what has happened? And that they kind of do in the post-press conference, which is generally a shoot, which is uh, – it's not like in the characters. They're talking sort of from a business aspect. And I thought it was actually pretty interesting last night, some interesting tidbits. So all of that said, my interpretation of the event as a whole, Keith, you can comment on it. Then we'll get to the, the news. Yeah. Uh, I think they were saying, look, wrestling has been for the past kind of few years getting more and more controlled by either Vince McMahon and his random creative whims, 
pushing things people weren't into, storylines they weren't into, not finishing things they had set up, just kind of being all over the place. His big thing was at the last minute he could pull a big swerve and that would keep things exciting. It was chaotic. And that started to run its course because people who were getting invested in this sort of day-to-day soap opera of it all were being left completely unsatisfied, you know, or disappointed because people that they have grassroots cheered up then don't get the... The louding. And I think what last night said was, hey, guys, we are out from under that. We have set up a bunch of storylines. And even though the predictable ending of a lot of these matches may be set in stone because we know you know where the story is going. Right. We're just going to tell them and we're going to tell them with care. We're going to we're going to focus on them. We're going to dedicate ourselves to them. And that's what they did. Cody Rhodes won. And yet he did so. And I thought a pretty exciting fashion that still kept, you know, CM Punk looking strong and other stories set up. Um, Plenty of other storylines like that. So I think that's, that's what I took from it. They were like, yeah, there's no, no big exciting entrances. The rock didn't come other. Right. And I think they shied away from a lot of the history stuff. Like we're not going to bring in people from the old days. We're not we're going to just say these are our guys now. This is where we're going. Yeah. That's what we're focused on. And it was it was very meat and potatoes. Yeah. And I think probably smart. Yeah. And though like people who just kind of pip and pop watch like me that I'm usually looking for the exciting stuff because I don't know all of the ongoing stories, I'd right, still rather a company say, "Hey, this is our book. Read it or don't read it." But we're not just going to change everything at the pay-per-views because we want to excite you, Mike. So good for them, I say. Now, <laughs> yeah. here's the, the, the thing. The press conference comes, and I have to t- tip my hat to Cody Rhodes because yes, he, he was went the out only there one who like, addressed it directly. And he got asked a point-blank question, and he did not shy away. He was like, it's scary. It sucks. Uh, so we, we should, we should yeah, back yeah, yeah. up and give, give a little context. So um, for those people who are not in the wrestling nerd fandom, Vince McMahon – uh this is his company. He basically he he inherited it from his father, but he took it from a little regional territory and made it this gigantic mega yeah. corporation. He basically took over all the other companies in the world and consolidated it into this giant thing. He has been the face of professional wrestling for 30 40 years now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and has been a uh relatively hated slash begrudgingly respected figure who has his hands on literally everything that wrestling has been since the eighties. Yeah. He also has a long history of pretty monstrous behavior and, um, you know, allegations that like starting back in like 1982 allegations that he paid off the cops to, to, uh, to, to uh, to get rid of one of his top wrestler at that point, who just murdered a woman, mm. um, you know, w- there's been long history of um, you know sexual uh, misconduct allegations that both he participated in and or covered up. He has um, he continued a pay per view after he literally got one of his wrestlers killed in the ring, and then forced everybody to continue the pay per view. Um, he's Basically, you know, he's like BFS with Donald Trump. That should tell you everything you need to know. Um, but basically, he's he has been a monster for a very, very long time. Yeah, and I, I, and I just generally uh, the the type of things you can go and read it on the internet. We don't have to like get into the salacious stuff. But I'll say that the closest, if you basically take uh, the R. Kelly scandal, 
in the music mm-hmm. industry and all of the sort of sexually depraved type of like weird trafficking and imprisonment stuff that he's been accused of and found guilty of and mix that with like the Epstein super rich I can do anything sexually not like with employment and NDAs and all the business kind of stuff and mix those two into a weird testosterone fueled uh soup that's this and and mixed with like pt barnum's desperation for attention Mm -hmm. and putting himself in the face so anyway two days ago um some you know some some allegations were a lawsuit came out and um about this woman who he basically like trafficked and abused for years and this isn't something that happened like 20 years ago this happened like two years ago Mm -hmm. um that came out and with a lot of just details that will, oh my god, like just her, like imagine, imagine the most horrific thing you can possibly do: passing it around to other, other employees, passing or around to wrestlers. It's absolutely barbaric and and horrific. And I think this finally is going to put the nail in mm-hmm. in the McMahon coffin because you know a couple of years ago he was temporarily pushed out. Because they found out about all these payoffs he'd been making. Now, of course, he he's been accused of rape as far back as early nineties, mm-hmm. um, but uh, he was able to force his way back in. I think this is going to end it, thankfully, mm-hmm. and he should be ending up in prison. And I think, you know, uh, billionaires being barbaric is not necessarily a surprise to anybody. And to think that there's dark stuff happening in professional wrestling—that's also not breaking any news. Mm-hmm. But I think. I think to to sort of speak about what everybody hasn't talked about yet is I think the implications on this moving forward, it's, I think it's really tough. And I think it gets into some of the ethics that I struggle with as a wrestling fan and as a fan of a lot of these people and this eras and, and, and uh, you know, the complicity of everyone in this industry like it's it's not like this this was a big secret. Mm-hmm. Everybody knew he it, I don't think people knew quite the extent of the barbarism, but there was plenty enough there that choosing to participate in this in this environment that was so toxic and so abusive um you know and it's going to touch a lot more people than we're aware of yet. I mean obviously you read between the lines the allegation that of course like it's Brock Lesnar was a participant in this one of the biggest wrestling stars in the world continues to be um you know mcmahon and laurenitis uh obviously are are named in this but it's it can't it's not just them and you know it's going to trickle down and it's going to break some hearts when we find out who else you know may have participated it may have been aware of it may have looked the other way and like it takes a lot to cover up this type of a thing. And there's been so many cover-ups in this industry and it's really, really dark and really, really upsetting. And, you know, it's, it challenges me, right? Like, Oh, how do I participate in this? How do I enjoy How do I, as a fan, because it goes, what happened to me, right? My, my wrestling fandom story was I actually started with the dark side. Mm-hmm. I started watching Dark Side of the Ring and 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 was like, oh my god, I can't believe how awful this whole world is and all these terrible things that are happening. And then it freaking sucked me in, mm-hmm. and I became a fan starting from the standpoint of these 
this is a, like a monstrous thing <laughs> that's happening. And then, but it really does suck you in. It, it's, it's this crazy, bizarre, carny art form that I, I it's. Yeah. And especially and here you we know, are. if you're nostalgia based in it, and I am very much nostalgia based in it. And sure. my brother was very professionally invested in it. Was in the world. Yeah. Uh, you know, and hear a lot about a lot of this stuff and, and, you know, that all was going on when I was in love with the thing. And, but the thing is, is that that complicity is, it's not the re it is not the basis or the formulation or the reason you end up liking the thing. Right. And so they get an opportunity to try the forge your own path. They've got, they it took a while to get rid of them. It's, it's a Weinstein situation, right? Look, you and I were in the, in the arts and for so many years, you hear of the horror stories, friends of yours, the casting couch stuff, all of that ugly things. And oh, sure. You never deny that it's happening or think it's not, to think that the allegations are false. It's just that, oh, this is part of the bag, right? This is part of the business. This, and, well, and what am I going to do about it? Because like, right. yeah. and, and I think about it like in, it, it's actually a really good parallel. I was actually going to go there when you brought it up was us in the theater industry. Now, mm -hmm. we don't have quite the industry, quite the history of professional wrestling or anything but i mean did we know so many about monsters the, did, did we did we were we aware of kevin spacey before that one yeah. well, of course in we our were. little nook and corner of the musical theater right there it's 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 terrible and how many exposés have we secretly heard about keith that never happened or we're gonna right. yeah and, that, and and so like because you if, see it happen in real time the powers if, that be if you're if you're in the business right like I, I mean, how many how many times have I sat down and talked with somebody who, you know, how they were treated by Scott Rudin mm -hmm. twenty years before this broke, or somebody get gets hit on by so and so, and or so forget and so. the big guys, right? How many regional productions have I sat in and on audition and heard the guy writing things? I'm trying to stay as vague as possible, writing stuff down that is writing horrific things in retrospect oh, yes. but now i'm like oh shit i should have said something but i was 22 years old and trying to be in the business right right, right. How many, yeah we, well, and, we've heard of witnessed and that's from like, two heterosexual white guys so imagine the stories yeah people who are actually affected by yeah, this right so true. um yeah privilege being checked so point being look we all live in a, a wall of our own hypocrisy and it is difficult but i think Man, as trite as it sounds, step one is you ask the questions, Keith. Right? It's like, do I want to continue to participate in, in being a fan of this? It, do I? It, what is? What can they do? And so let's let's piggyback. So amongst under yeah. that cloud, they had this like press. I'm not going to call it a press conference because it's really just like some bloggers and stuff. The first one is like, okay, uh, Joe Schmo from behind the cage, the behind the bloody caged dot podcast dot com, and you're like, okay, well, it's not Cronkite, but. Um, <laughs> you realize it's you're talking about us, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like if uh, if um, if you lined up uh, Jake Tapper and Keith Varney, I mean, one of them is going to probably ask a better question, and it's Keith. True. You know, yeah, obviously. Uh, if it's you, if I had made the comparison between you and Steve Ducey, I'd say for sure Keith. But <laughs> anyway, my point is. Nobody was asking me anything. I was getting the impression that they were like, "You can't ask about this," but then somebody did. I, yeah. It felt a little like this guy's going to ask Cody, that guy's going right. to ask him, because there was only two questions they allowed, so it was interesting. Anyway, not the point. And Cody did not give a PR answer. He basically was like, this is terrifying. This is – he was – here's what I like about Cody Rhodes, and I've never been a giant Cody Rhodes fan, but it's clear to, to do – to be – to excel in any business, especially a performance-based one, you got to have a very specific ego. A lot of people have ugly egos. 
who are just like cutthroat. They'll step on anybody to do anything. And then there are the, the certain few that have like a sort of very confidence-based, but still like a little arrogant. I can't quite define it, but he's well, I, very I, much, I, I'm the future. Yeah. So I'm going to make calls. I'm going to do things. I'm going to say things. And I'm going to start leading before I'm officially the leader. But you also wonder how much of that is him playing his character versus him Maybe, playing yeah. himself. But but I, I I think to define what you're looking for is that you have that – it's kind of like nobody wants to be president unless they have a towering ego. Yeah. Right? And nobody, nobody wants to be the face of professional wrestling unless you have this towering ego. But I think what Cody has and I think that the best ones have is like, yes, I have that ego. Yes, I have this like crazy ambition and I want to be on the poster. But I have a little bit of self-awareness. Mm-hmm. Like I'm aware of what's happening and why I'm doing it. And I think that I think Cody has that. I think he's very bright. I mean, yeah, I, the, the reputation of professional wrestlers is that they're all really dumb. Mm-hmm. And look. Some of them are, but most of the successful ones are very, very bright. Especially at this stage of the game, because you have to market yourself, social media, the whole the whole thing is just yeah. so much. So anyway, so he handled it fairly well and, and addressed it to a degree, and then, you know, basically was trying to draw the line and say, we didn't know anything about this, and we're learning about it as you are, which I find just incredibly difficult to believe. Well, and I, I, the, oper- the best question that got asked was, what are you doing? What needs to happen... Mm-hmm. To prevent this from happening in the future. And and the answer is not what they did before. Because they, they did an internal investigation. And I put that in the, the air quotiest of air quotes. Because it came out in this thing. They never even talked to the victim. Who had all of the receipts. All of the text messages. All of it. They, 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 they swept it under the rug. Mm-hmm. And so this is going to continue happening. Until they genuinely bring in, I, I, I mean, frankly, at this point, it's all criminal. And so, like, forget anything internal, forget anything with the company, the, you know, the, the, the authorities, the FBI, whoever adjudicates these sort of things needs to come in yeah. and figure out anyone who has had any touch with this and clean house. And if you have to clean house of 80% of the people there, 80% of the, do it you have to this is one of those few times where and it's and it's it's a choice between two evils right there's no there's no there there's no superheroes that come and just make everybody good the good guys right and no company and no entity is ever going to be full of just good guys right like it's like google saying their main pillar on their company sort of ethics sheet is do no evil first do no be don't be evil is their first thing and you're like oh what the you know like great that's great sure but yeah so listen the choices here are, and, and I think the best thing that can happen to WWE and has happened is the corporatization of it, because it, and it, it's a publicly shared company. Billions of dollars are being spent and traded and used. So at that point, people don't want to lose billions of dollars. And if criminal things are happening and it becomes difficult to cover up, generally speaking, they just expose it to get rid of those those people. And so, listen, I'm not championing corporate America, but if the choices are insane dictator that right. runs every aspect of everything or Running a billion dollar family yeah, business or publicly traded billionaires uh th- i'll take the cohort because chances are that like at least somebody amongst them will realize hey we're going to lose money if insane dictator still in power well, right I mean, yes yes i i i think that i mean i do see the benefits of that 
But I, I think honestly, the only thing that's going to solve this permanently is external authorities coming in that, that the people investigating this cannot have a corporate interest, mm-hmm. you know, cannot be fa- financially motivated by, by what they're doing. They, they need to have, you know, and, and that's, and that's, you know, the authorities, the, the FBI, whatever, wh- whoever does this needs to come in and not give a crap. About the next pay per view, not mm-hmm. give a crap about the shareholders. Which Go is in with a the big missed opportunity. The big missed opportunity last night. Now listen, the the current sort of head of the running the day to day of the company now is now talk this, about difficult. <laughs> is is this guy Triple H right? And uh, his Paul, and he is married to the the daughter of Vince McMahon. He is has come up under the tutelage of Vince McMahon. I'm sure he was party to and aware of all this crap going on in the dead of middle of it, it. Yeah. and now has to answer for it for the company. And I just think I understand his line, which was just like, "Look, we don't. It's it's as a we're trying to celebrate the Royal Rumble. We don't have time to talk about that. It'll all come out in the wash. We're looking forward." I understand that from a PR perspective. Totally understand it, but I think. With the context and with the knowledge that he has, not only of like what actually transpired, but probably what wheels are in motion legally, financially, and all kinds of stuff. Sure, he's not. He should have absolutely. He what he basically said was, "We're doing everything we can," and I think he should have gone the extra step that Keith just said. I think he said, "We're going to invite in any and all authorities. We're going to let every investigation run. We're going to take care of the people who are." who are vile criminals and they will not be a party to this. We'll wipe them from the annals of our, listen, when Hulk Hogan said the N word, they came out and basically were like, we're going to wash him from this company. Now, of course he's back and it's Slim Jim. He did the promo for this event. Slim Jim was like, Vince McMahon has, is a disgusting slob. We're out of, as advertisers. And then the second Vince, uh, resigned, (laughs) Slim Jim was like, we're snapping back in, baby. It was like 12 hours later. So, Granted, whether he, he, but I'm just saying that the, the he could have been forceful. Whether he was going, there's going, it's going, yeah. and he chose not to. And I, I, it stood out to me. Of course, well, in juxtaposition it, to the way Cody handled it, which I thought he could, they could have just. Well, well, think about think about the ridiculous position. Yeah, I get that it. Paul is in, but he's in it, and, Keith. And, and 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 because he's he's literally married to the daughter of this monster, the daughter of this monster, who it seems like. Wants nothing to do with her father. Her whatsoever. son too. The, bo- the whole rest of the family. They they want nothing to do with him, and un- understandably, Jesus. Um, but I think all of that speaks to this needs to be investigated independent, mm-hmm. independently, and it has to it has to be, and not like corporate independent, not fake independent. You know, which is what they did last time. Like, oh, it's an independent. Yeah, bullshit. It's an independent investigation. It, it's they need to bring in their worst enemy <laughs> to come in and investigate this. I wouldn't be surprised. Also, like, I don't think legally Paul probably could say anything. No, well, I'm sure he is li- well wrapped up in this investigation. Of course, they they all are, mm-hmm. and 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 so like. You know, at this point, we shouldn't be people shouldn't be worrying about their jobs. They should be worried about going to prison. Yeah, that's how that's the that's the that's the deepness of it. What I think the most interesting line was was a line of omission. Right, what you did not hear from anyone, and you wouldn't, but maybe from from uh, from Triple H, and you did not hear it was 
because the internet's already doing it, right? Like, oh, well, you know, the, the, the victim shaming. Well, what if she deserved it? What if it was this? Allegations, proven to innocent, blah, blah, all that bullshit, which <laughs> generally I support. But you didn't hear anyone from the company say that. You didn't hear anyone say, well, you know, let's wait no one, until all the no facts. No one said a word about the victim at all. True. Very fair. But they didn't defend anyone, and which which is speaks volumes towards the kind of ubiquity of what we all know. Well, if if you read the 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 lawsuit, this there's no, like she has all the receipts. Just read the text; it's yeah. all there. It's all and and it's also all in keeping with a pattern yeah. that we all have known about for forty years. Mm-hmm. Like this, it, this is not out of the blue. This is like yeah, yeah. duh, of course. Yeah, listen, the question, you know, will the circus survive if you take elephants away, Keith, if we stop torturing animals? Well, guess what? Yeah, it did. Yeah. <laughs> and how long did we fight that war? And uh, that's, I'm sorry if that feels like a trite analogy, but my point is, is that the no, art- but I think it is. Yeah, the I, art I, form I, is bigger it, than the guy. It doesn't need to involve torture, torture of the wrestlers, tortures of the people around them. It doesn't need to be toxic. It mm-hmm. doesn't need to be an abusive, monstrous thing. And frankly, it always has been. Mm-hmm. Like every promotion going back to, you know, when this got invented at, by carnies and the, what, teens, right? Like it has always been ripe for abuse and exploitation and and just horror. It doesn't need to be. Like, yeah, I mean, till just to a couple years ago, and maybe still ongoing. I mean, unless you're at the top game, like the top draws in at the WWE or whatever, you know, professional wrestling seems like this big umbrella. But the majority of these guys are independent contractors, don't even have insurance. They don't even like oh, yeah. it barely get paid. I mean, a lot of the independent shows you go to, they're still making fifty bucks to roll in there. So, yeah. you know, just because they just got five billion dollars to be on Monday Night Raw. Don't think that any of those billions trickle down to those guys no, well, on just, Monday Night Raw. <laughs> just because Hugh Jackman was making a million dollars a week on Broadway doesn't mm-hmm. mean that everyone trying to be a musical theater performer is making any yeah. money. That's these misnomers. It's it's so funny. People think, "Oh, the Hollywood elite blah blah blah." I was like, "There's still there's the 1% of those elite too." You know, my wife, yeah. you know, she had a great comment and I'm going to butcher it and and I'm not trying to be a downplay Jen's awards and successes and all of that, but she was just doing a, a, an off-Broadway show recently with some like people with huge Broadway credits, and it was just like a really hard, elite place to be to get any job, right, in the theater. yeah. And she's like, hey, nobody told me the dream when I was 22 years old was to be living in your brother's daughter's bedroom while she's off at college commuting three hours to do a job for 700 yeah. bucks. And you're like, well, yeah, and, it is. That's and, the dream. And that's, and that's, it really, I mean, that's the thing. Like, even, even a Broadway actor who is working reasonably consider reasonably consistently mm-hmm. it is a middle class at best yeah, for as long as and it's an at will per, per job oh but you got a year contract yeah but that show could look we have friends in harmony that thing ran for four months man yeah. your big oh, dream yeah. came true and four months and you're lucky if you made right. it put enough that's money right. away to you know and that's more and that that is more likely to be the story right. than less likely for sure well anyway yeah. uh much much yet to be uh to be adjudicated, and uh, I think we're just, I, I well, and I, I think like la- my last thought on it is, hopefully, this will finally be the light mm-hmm. that that can uh, that we can really shine on 
that whole empire, the, the McMahon abuse empire. But I think if we shine a light on it, this is going to be the first layer of the onion and there's, there'll be monsters. And, and I, I think we're, we are all going to be heartbroken by somebody, somebody's involvement. I don't know if you're a big Brock Lesnar fan. Get ready to have your heart broken, and like, who knows who else is on that list? So, well, I mean, maybe we're entering an era, Keith. You know, to to be sunshine rainbow about it, of like some sort of accountability for these people. Yes, you know, for the billionaires. Please, who, who finally, gen- yeah. Like, I I I don't care at this point. It's weird. It's like me watching. Sometimes I watch weird videos of like kids growing up and buying their dad a car that he sold to get them. You know, when they're like just right. or the, I watch videos of people getting pulled over after they do stupid things i drive just because you want to feel like there's some sort of justice happening somewhere uh, yeah. that's how i feel so i mean let's accountability let's, let's slay please. some dragons please somebody get some please. dragons i mean yeah. some more 83 dollar 83 million dollar judgments right but like yeah let's do some more yeah. of that it, let's let's yeah let's live in a world of accountability please all right any positive thoughts keith uh let's do some weekly rad before we uh we say goodnight. anything you're looking forward to this week or fun things happening oh well uh i, I don't know if i did I, I don't think i mentioned it last time but i had i had my my yes, reading of of my show and it went really well and so uh you know who who knows what's gonna happen with that but i had a had a, a wonderful time um re-excavating that so i'm i'm in a place of of hopefulness about uh the life of some of the stuff that i'm creating so um as i've I've said before i count my chickens when they have uh when they have hatched grown up hatched uh, eggs of their own been cooked eaten and composted that's when i'll count them yep. but uh mm-hmm. i i certainly am in an optimistic place with uh with that yeah i'm uh this week is just kind of like Back to the grind, but uh, coming up, some fun stuff. I'm taking Jen to see Billy Joel coming up, and oh, fun. yeah, we went to see Sweeney Todd, and we we, you know, the live performance is back, folks. I know that uh, it's still scary out there with the the, the diseases and the such, but uh, a lot of shows are closing. Things are struggling. People are still struggling. If you're not Taylor Swift, right? Yeah. People are still struggling to get butts in the buckets. So uh, you know what? Invest in a good mask. Force yourself to go stuff. out and go see some stuff, you know, if, even if it's just the movies. Uh, there's some some cool things happen. So, uh, okay, there you have it. Uh, until we talk again, listen, don't let anybody yuck your yum or do anything terrible to you. Speak up, speak out if you know of anything happening. Uh, keep on doing the things you find fun, otherwise that are safe, and keep on geeking on. Wow, really. My oh, lawyer told me landing. to say those words. <laughs> Woo, really landed it. <laughs>